Genesis chapter 22, if you'd be so kind this morning. Genesis chapter 22. Glory to glory, Jennifer. Glory to glory. That's the flow of heaven. It's glory to glory. May take a little bit of time, but just stand your ground. You'll, you'll, the Holy Ghost will show you how to go to that next place. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 22, now we're continuing our final part on, on uh, the critical importance of prayer and proximity. I believe this is part five. And uh, I just, we've been talking a lot about prayer at the beginning. We've been doing this almost a month now and, and the importance of prayer and God's putting more of an emphasis for our church more than ever on prayer. But then I also just, the Holy Ghost just kept leading me toward the Elijah and the widow of Zarephath and the importance of that story and how it applies to our life. And I think we took almost two Sundays just on that alone, including last Sunday. And I gave you some points. So if you didn't hear last Sunday, you need to listen to it. It will really help you. There's some revelation that I've never heard anybody really preach before. It's come as, as we study the Holy Ghost showing us more things about that story and about the importance of how Elijah had to be in the right place at the right time. He couldn't stay in Cherith because Cherith's drying up. Sometimes things dry up in your life because you, you won't move on. And take a tough step of faith. It takes a stretch of faith to move on. Dr. Dufresne would often tell me, Craig, I don't always like the feeling of the stretch of faith because I feel the stretch. But I have to stretch or I'm not going to fulfill the plan of God. Not only did he need to be in the right place at the right time, but that widow wasn't, wasn't aware because when it says God commanded her, it doesn't mean the way we think like he spoke to her. No, he, it means he assigned in the Hebrew. He, he, he set it on her life that she was assigned to help. She didn't even know it. But when she got around the man of God, she found out. And sometimes we don't even know fully what we're born for until we get around the divine associations that God wants us. Primarily, yes, our pastor, but more than that, what about even godly friendships? And I mean godly, not, not other godly friendships that, that, that sharpen. Your Bible says, you know, one brother, one man sharpens another like iron sharpens iron. What about when you're out there and you're talking about spiritual things and you maybe even shock or you might even pray together once in a while as a friend outside the church building? You'd be shocked at what can come out in those conversations. And, and that's a divine association in a different way. It's not as important because they're not necessarily an office, but, but it's still important. And you can get things from those associations if you'll just listen. You, the, the lady had to be around the right person in order to know what God wanted her to do. And listen, what God wanted her to do didn't just help him and the ministry. It also helped her personal life. And staying close over the years with him didn't just help him and give him a place to stay when he, was, when, he, when he would pass by, he'd stay there. But it, would also, it also gave her access because of her honor for him. Then when her son died, she had an answer waiting for her because she could access somebody that had greater faith than she did. Praise God. Hallelujah. If Dalton didn't come to church this morning, I highly doubt the lady at Tim Hortons, when she passes him her, his coffee, is going to lay hands and say, be healed. And if you can find somebody like that, let me know, because I'll go to that Tim Hortons. But I highly doubt that's the case. See, it matters that you're around where God wants you to be. And I can't tell you, Taylor, how many times a word of knowledge has come and the person isn't there. And at first I used to think I missed it. And then Dr. Dufresne told me God will give you word of knowledge based on his perfect will for that service. It has nothing to do with whether that person is there or not. The Holy Ghost was trying to prompt them to come, but they didn't listen but God is still going to do it according to his will. Yes. 
what he planned for that service, he's going to do. Whether you're there to receive it or not. But I'm so grateful that if you're in the right place, that divine association will bring you into your life what you need. Praise God. It's a give and take. The woman, the widow got something and Elijah got something and together as a team, they fulfilled the plan of God. And as a congregation, we're fulfilling the plan of God together. We need each other. Amen. But I want you to look here as I conclude this area. We're focusing on proximity in the last part of this, of these sermons, more than the prayer side. We did that a lot at the beginning, but proximity, we're talking about proximity. And I want you to notice uh, something important here that it's that, that yes, with that woman and that, that widow and Elijah, there was proximity, but there's another person might want to look at a little bit differently than you normally have, but Abraham, it was important that Abraham had the right proximity to where God had told him to go. Now with the woman, it was with a person. With Abraham, it wasn't a person, it was a location. But it's the same, it's the same principle. So have a look at Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. Now that doesn't mean tempt with sin. Remember, James says God cannot test us with sin. The Lord doesn't put, put things that are wrong in front of you to see if you'll do it. But the Lord does, according to, according to Psalms, and there's many scriptures that say, the Lord can test the reins of your heart. He can test you from the perspective of to see your motives, but not presenting evil to you to try to get you to stumble. He doesn't do that. But he often does test where our motives are. I remember in India, in that place where I, where I got burned, uh, that very, very serious sunburn, and I couldn't, I couldn't move for five days. And uh, I was in this pastor's upstairs bedroom trying to recover, and I was there to preach, but I didn't realize that the sun was like it was. It was overcast. It wasn't even sunny, and I got seriously burned. I couldn't move for five days. But while I was up there, I had my little, I had a come-to-Jesus meeting. Ever had a come-to-Jesus meeting? Because he's got me as a captive audience. I can't leave. I can't move. That poor pastor's wife had to help put special things from the, from the pharmacy on my skin because I was in such agonizing pain for five days. But I spent a lot of time praying, <laughs> a lot of time worshiping. And in that time, I had a come to Jesus moment in that, that was 1996. And, and, and he, he talked to me, he, he spent three days talking to, I'll never forget that. It was a marker in my life about motives. Why are you going into the ministry? I didn't even know anything about the prosperity message. I didn't think I'd ever own anything. In fact, my dad told me I'd never own anything. I was going to be broke. And I believed him. But I was still willing to do it. Because it wasn't about money. But I had a motive session with God in that attic, so to speak, that upstairs bedroom for about three days. And it marked me. And I laid my life upon the altar. And I made sure that I was doing this for the right reasons. And not because I needed a job or because I wanted money or because I wanted blessing or because I wanted to have a place for people to hear me. He, the motives are very important to God. Your faith can work, but if your motives are wrong, it'll stunt your faith. A lot of people, they do everything right by the books in terms of their faith, but it still doesn't work right for them. And, and they need to go look at their own heart and say, why am I doing this? Not just what am I doing, but why am I doing this? Is my motive clean before God? That's a big thing. So my sermon, but that's a big side note to pay attention to. So he's testing his motives here. He's not testing him with sin. He's testing to see if he's willing. Do you understand? Keep going with me. And God did test, is a better word than tempt Abram, Abraham, and said unto Abraham, and Abraham said unto him, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, 
and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abram rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. So there's four of them going. And Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, tied it to one of the donkeys there, rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, they are, they are cruising for three. This is the third day of travel by donkey. That's a long way. That's a long way. There are mountains where Abraham was living. Why can't God say, go over yonder? Why did God say you have to go all this way? Because that's where God wanted it. And he didn't pick what Abraham wanted based on convenience. He picked what he wanted. Now that today is where the Mount of Olives is. That, that, that right now is actually right there. There is a rock there. And the, and the dome of the rock, that gold dome that you see, is built upon that site. And Jesus died just short away from that site. And the, there's a lot of symbolism that it had to be in this place. Now Abraham didn't know any of that. He just doesn't know anything about that. He just kind of just going as he goes. He doesn't know the plan of redemption. He doesn't know that the guy named Jesus is going to come and that he's going to be sacrificed. He doesn't know anything. And a lot of times we don't know everything. But God says, go here. You got to learn to listen when God says, go here. When God says, take this job, you don't look at the salary comparison to the other job, the benefit package to the other job. You follow the inward witness because if God says, go to this job, you don't know what is waiting for you at that job. There is maybe a connection to a better job, to opening your own business, a divine idea that will come by that job. And if you took the job with what looked right to you, you would miss an entire path that God is trying to open up to you. It matters, brother and sister, that we hear from God and that we go where he tells us to go. It's so important. And there is inconvenience at times to obeying God. There is. Robert? There's inconvenience because they spent three hours driving this morning to come to church. So don't anybody tell me nothing ever again about your drive because I'm just going to refer you to Robert. I'm serious. 20 minutes, 40 minutes, three minutes. Lorraine makes me sick. Praise God. What I'm saying is if you know where God's asked you to be and there's no price, that's too high to pay. When I was in the jungles of India and uh, the man invited us to use his hut and they had no electricity. This is, I mean, <laughs> jungle, jungle, jungle gym, buddy. This is jungle. And uh, they, had, they had kerosene lamps and uh, uh, they had been telling people the white, white man from across the sea is coming. They didn't even know my name. They just knew that a white man was coming. And that when I, when I, when I got there, the sun was going down and the, the Aubrey, the pastor that runs that region, he took me and he said, you see that mountain over there? I mean, Jenny, it was, as, it was far in the distance. I said, yeah. And he said, the ones here live on the other side of that mountain. They've been traveling four days to get here with their babies, nursing them as they go through the jungle, through dangers with snakes and wild tigers in that area. They came all that way because they needed They wanted to hear about the gospel. And the man whose house, when I preached about Jesus, the healer, he came up afterward and he said, 
is Jesus, he had never heard of Jesus, and he said, is she, is she a, a woman in the other village? He thought Jesus was a female name and that she lived in the other village. <laughs> and I had the great privilege of telling that man that Jesus is a man and he lives in heaven. And he got born again that night. And oh, so many people, Jenny, because of the sacrifice, see, they didn't look at convenience. They looked at what their heart told them to do. Talk about great sacrifice to get to that meeting and the power of God that was present in that service without any lights, with kerosene lamps. There were so many people in the thing. They were sitting in the rafters. I remember they were around my feet. I had two feet this way and two feet that way. And that's all I could walk because if every if people everywhere in the middle of the jungle of India, they sacrificed to come and the power of God. I know what Jesus felt like when he stood in that house and there was no room and they had to break up the roof. I know what he felt like because the power of God was present to heal. My God, there was so much. They didn't even understand the principles of faith, just the sacrifice to get there. God counted it as faith for them. And I remember people just got healed like popcorn. One had all this, not to be disgusting, but all this, the kids love this story. That's why I tell all this. He was deaf and he had uh, information and he had this stuff coming out of his ear. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my God. So I gently laid my hands on the left side of his forehead and I heard the Lord say, stick your finger in his ear. And he said, it just, I said, Lord, Lord Jesus, help me now. Lord, help me. I said, Lord, the anointing will go in through his head this time. <laughs> See, God, sometimes I know he's weird that way. He's not weird, but we're weird. But he, he said, I said, stick your finger in his ear. And so I thought, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it good. And I would have did it hard and it squirted out and hit the person beside him on their face. But he got instantly healed and the person beside got healed and everybody in that place got healed. And the man who thought Jesus was a woman who had just got born again, he had never heard the name once in his entire life said, my buffalo is sick. Can Jesus heal him too? I've never been asked to pray for a buffalo. And I said, I checked my spirit and I heard, heard the Holy Ghost say, a, a, a righteous man is good to his animals. Yeah. And the Lord went about doing good. So I said, Lord, I don't know if I'm mis putting these verses the way I should, but bring, bring that baby. And they brought the buffalo in with the, with, the, with the thing around his neck. He was a small buffalo. It may be like what they would call like a young teenager buffalo. <laughs> And he was there and he was, you could tell, like he was groaning. There was stuff coming out of his mouth. And he said, if he's going to die. If, you, if God doesn't do something, this Jesus can, can do this, can't he, sir? The man asked me who owned the hut. And I said, absolutely. And it was awesome. I put my hand right on that buffalo's head. And God healed that buffalo. I'm telling you. That buffalo got better and walked off. Didn't die. And then they took an offering for me, but they don't have any money because these are people in the jungle. But they'd each bought a piece of corn in their bag. And they, pu they put the corn and the corn came about three feet high, a pile of corn. And that was their offering. And it was the best that they had, Greg. With tears in their eyes, they got the next day, go, go back on horseback, all those kilometers across that mountain. And I looked at that offer and I said, Lord, I can't take that with me. And I said to the pastor, actually the owner of the house, I said, I sow my offering into you. And, and he was so touched. I'm saying that just for the simple sake that when, when you make a sacrifice, when, 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 when God asks you to do something, and it might be a bit of a sacrifice for you, you need to look past the price and you need to look at what's, what you're going to get at, at the honor, at the, at the reward of your honor that will come to you, no matter what the price is. He's going a long way to get to this three-day journey. Let's pick it up now. 
And on the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. On the third day, it was afar off. So he's already going at least three days, maybe even into the fourth day. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, watch now, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Evidently he hadn't told Isaac what's going on here. And, I, and Abraham said, uh, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of, which obviously was Moriah. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. I want you to notice that uh, God, this is called Mount Moriah. And even though Abraham didn't know where it was, God knew the name. The place where God took him was very specific. It was even named. God will take you to specific places. He'll, he'll name specific churches for you to attend. Amen. He'll be specific about your, your mate and about your job. God is very specific. He didn't know where Moriah was, but he said it's called Moriah. In other words, God knew the name. And when you get closer, I'll show it to you. Sometimes God, you know, he'll give us specific specifics, but as we go, he'll narrow the specifics down and he'll show us which university, which thing that we're, which car we're to buy. I mean, he's very specific and we have to understand that about him. And so they came to the place God told him, verse nine, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram. Caught, he didn't see it until that moment. Caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the place, the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh. And that is to say, uh, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Now we say Jehovah Jireh, my provider, but the Hebrew definition is not provider. It's the Je Jehovah who sees the need. Now sees the need and provides for the need, but we, we, it's Jehovah Jireh means the one who sees and provides, not just the one who provides. The one who sees what you need. Do you realize that he sees what you need? That makes it more intimate. He doesn't just know what, he doesn't just, you know, you just have the provision. When you know God sees what you need, that he is intimately acquainted with your needs and he's going to provide the needs, it means something different than just he provides. Do you understand? Providing can sometimes seem a little bit isolated, a little bit not, not that, not, there's less connection. But when you know he's looking at you, he loves you. He sees what you need, my brother and sister. Listen to your pastor this morning. I'm trying to help you. Don't, don't listen to what your friends say, the devil says, your mind says, the government says, or anybody else says. God loves you and he sees what you have need of. And if you're in the right place, that's the key. The ram wasn't at the mountain three days back on the other side. 
The ram was on that mountain because God will always provide a supply where he's asked you to be. But you've got to know where he's asked you to be. If, you, if, you, if there's not a supply that's a clue to you that you may not be where he's asked you to be. So you, like my wife said, go back and sit before the father and talk to him and say, Father, where am I missing this? Because if I'm in your will, there's always a supply. David said, I'm young and I'm now old. And I've all my years, I've never once seen the righteous forsaken. I've never once seen the seed of Abraham begging bread. I'm part of the seed of Abraham. Because Galatians 3.13 says that I, I am the seed of Abraham. And heirs according to the promise made to him. That means there's a supply for me as long, there's a condition, as long as I'm in the place that God asks me to be. I want you to remember, I don't have it right now because sake of time, but I want you to remember something. When Abraham was sending forth in Genesis 24, when he was sending forth the, the servant to go and find the wife, Rebecca, and the, and the, and the guy says, if I, I'm giving you the paraphrase version, if I go and the woman won't come, what do I do? Do I come back and get Isaac and take him? And Abraham says, far be it from me. He is, if you read the words, he is aggressive and stern. And he said in modern vernacular, absolutely not. He said, if the woman will not come, God will provide a wife from another source. But my son is staying right here. Why was it so? Abraham knows the importance of the right wife because this is going to be the seed line that brings Jesus. So you would think, let Rebecca let him go to Rebecca because it has to be Rebecca. Yeah. But yes, it does, but no, it doesn't. Because God, God used a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Jesus came from the loins of a prostitute, yeah. Rahab yeah. in Jericho. Yeah. If you look at the direct lineage of Jesus, he comes out of a prostitute's loins. Yeah. So God does not need just every person that's perfect. Because this woman was far from perfect and she was in the plan of God. God wants Rebecca. That's his highest flow. But if Rebecca won't come, he can use a Canaanite woman. If he can use a prostitute, he can use anybody. Do you understand? So the wife, the, the individual person of that wife is not as important to God. We see that from scripture in Genesis 24 as being in the right place is as important to God. I'm trying, I don't know if they're catching it, Taylor. Because some folks tell me there's not enough hot girls in the church, Pastor. I'm going to go to another church where there's a lot of pretty looking girls because I, there's not enough options at Promise of Life. Well, then you're doing exactly opposite of what the Bible says. You don't leave where God planted you to go and try to find something. Isaac stays put. Why? He said, if God said this is a land of promise, and God said keep your feet on the land of promise, I don't care if it's a wife, if it's money, if it's investments, I don't, if it's enemies, danger, it matters not. We don't leave where God planted us. And Abraham was very, very strong on that. He refused to leave the land of promise. And when the five kings showed up, Cheddar and Mozzarella and Provolone, do you remember all of them? Cheddar Lomar and the five kings? When Cheddar showed up, he did not run off. He stayed and he fought and he won. 318 against five armies. Because when you're in where you're supposed to be, God will multiply your efforts 
and angels will help you and the odds may seem impossible to you, but God will make sure you come out. I'm serious. He would not. He would, even right to his death, he refused to leave the land of promise. And we've been there where he's buried. And because the Muslims honor him as well as the Christians and the Jews, they have bulletproof glass, bomb-resistant glass. And the Muslims have one half of the sepulcher, and the Jews and Christians have the other half of the sepulcher. And you, ha you have to go through a gate, and they ask you what religion you are, to, and you have to show proof if you're a Muslim. And a letter from your cleric that you're a true practicing Muslim, or you can't get into the Muslim section. And so we, we stood there, remember, beside that bulletproof glass, because that's where Abraham supposedly, I don't know, but that's where they say that he was buried. And that's a holy site. It's not as important to us. He's in heaven. The site is not really what matters. But when you're in Israel, you go see these places and everything. But the point is, is that he was there right till the day he died. And even his tomb, the way he picked his tomb, if you study it, he picked his tomb so that it would look out. He's dead. But he, he was so symbolic even in his tomb selection because the cave had to look out over the land of promise. He, it's almost like in my final resting place, I know I'm not here, but I just still want to be facing the land of promise because I'm gonna, my, my seed is going to take this land. My son ain't leaving this land for nothing, not for any girl or nothing else. We're staying where God put us. You see, the, you see and that's why God was pleased with Abraham because he was stubborn where it counted. He wasn't stubborn in other areas, but where it mattered to God and instructions from heaven, he was stubborn about it. Despite opposition and persecution, he was stubborn. God told him, go to a certain place, and he did it, and it was inconvenient. Are you with me? Then what else did God tell him? He says to him, I want you to go there, it's inconvenient, and I want you to give, listen, what you feel you can't give. So there's two problems, Taylor. He says, go to a place that you don't really want to go because it seems unnecessary. And I want you to give what you feel you can't give. I'm testing your heart. Proving you. God does prove us. And uh, I'm telling you for, for our life, sometimes uh, like Robert was telling me yesterday at Oasis that, you know, when he was in Newfoundland, and, and, you know, they would, when they were going to that other church, they would drive a little bit. And people would say, why? There's a church right here. They pick a church like a grocery store, like a gas station. Well, why would you inconvenience them? The church is right here. Just, just pick one. It's only a church. It doesn't matter. It's just like a grocery store. Just pick one. You get spiritual food there. You get natural food in the grocery store. But you see, that's not, that's, that's carnal-minded people that don't understand God. Because 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says that God puts you in the body. He selects you. He places you. He plants you in the body as it pleases him, not as it pleases you. He planted Abraham in Moriah because it pleased him, not it pleased his donkey bill. Okay? Sometimes he'll ask you to go somewhere, and I don't just mean church, I mean in other areas of life that are inconvenient and costly. And then he'll ask you on top of that to give what you feel you can't give when you get there. That is true. That is true. It's, not in, it's not convenient and it's not cheap for me to go to California eight times a year. But I'm there because that's what God told me. He said, if you don't stay close to Pastor Nancy, you won't make the, you won't make the fullness of your ministry. 
Your ministry will have little spurts, but it won't have the takeoff. It won't have the breadth. It won't have the length because there's impartations that come through higher offices. And a pastor needs a pastor. And I am submitted to her, just like she is submitted to Dad Hagen and now, now Brother Copeland. But, but there is an impartation that comes down the line. And it's not convenient to go. I calculated all the hours it takes from our house by the time we close our door and to the time we close the door of the hotel room. Average. Sometimes it's longer based on that L.A. traffic. But the average is 14 and a half hours. And that's going direct on an airline. That's not stopping anywhere. Just with all the rigmarole. You got to get there early. You got to stand in the line. You got to talk to the officer. You got to wait for the luggage. You got to wait in that thing for that bus to take you to the, that bus can take you, it can wait 40 minutes for that bus just to take you to where the rental cars are. In the smog, in the traffic, with people cussing, almost driving over each other. That airport is lunacy. And then another long drive with traffic. And by the time you get checked in, it's almost 15 hours. And I do that all the time. It is not convenient. It is not cheap. It would be so much easier to stay home and watch. But God spoke to me. He spoke to me and he said, if you're going to fulfill the ministry, you need the impartation in person. And I do watch a lot, but that does not replace being in person. And a lot of people, and listen, you can watch, thank God for the wonder of live stream. It does not replace the impartation in person. You say, but I don't feel like I'm being imparted to pastor unless I'm Dalton and I got hands laid on me. I just don't, I just don't really feel it. But the, I'm brother and sister, I'm telling you, you are getting impartations whether you realize it or not and you don't need to feel anything because just being in that room and having that anointing from a higher office rolling out and the word of God washing your mind and, and just, and not, if nothing else, even if I spoke about flower gardens and there was no impartation from the scriptures at all, just being where God asked you to be. Just being where he asked you to be. They will automatically be a blessing and an impartation that comes into you. There are so many levels of this. It's not just what's preached. It's not just if you're laid hands on or not. It's just being where God said be there. Just obeying him and being there, you'll get something from God. I don't see it. I don't feel it. Don't worry. It's, you're going to see it. Things are going to start working out for you. Think, I don't know how this worked out, Pastor, but it just worked out. Yeah, I know why, because there's impartations and God is honoring your faithfulness to be in the right place, to be in the Mount Moriah that he called you to be in. Do you understand? What is number one? He asked him to go somewhere inconvenient. What is number two? He asked him to give something he felt he couldn't give. So what are we going to do? We're going to go where God asked us to go. If he asked you to come here, no matter where you move to, some people have to move out of the city to get homes. I get that. But set your heart like the reeds have set their heart. And make sure that you, you're, 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 you're honoring God and not just your job. When God gives you a job and you know he's given you that job and it might be a further drive than you're comfortable, just be where you're supposed to be. Don't pick the other job because it's closer. Follow the inner witness. Follow where God is asking you to go. It will turn out well for you. Not only is it important you go, even if it's inconvenient, but what about what you feel you can't give? Yeah. I'm just being honest with you. Not every test is your firstborn son. I mean, that's pretty, whoever that is, turn that noise off. It's not always your firstborn son that is this huge test. 
Sometimes there are big tests. But you know, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes you just feel like when you open your eyes Sunday morning, you just feel like I, I, I just can't get out of bed. I, I need to sleep. I just need it. And that may be, I know that sounds silly, but that may be more than you feel you can give that day. And you can tell people that come to church that don't want to talk to you. You can just tell it. And it's more than they feel they can give when I say shake hands at fellowship time. And to some people, it's more than they feel they can give just to lift their hands and sing. Because they feel so overwhelmed about whatever's going on. And when you're facing financial, which we all do at different times, you may feel this tithe and offering thing is more than I can handle. I, I just, Lord, what are you asking of me? Sometimes coming to church, living the Christian life is more than you feel you can give. When they invite you and they're doing some kind of a get together and they're all drinking and you have a choice to take a stand, and, and you, but you know they're going to probably mock you or at the very least see you different, maybe treat you a bit different, maybe not invite you to the next thing. You feel like it's more than you can give, but God expects you to give it. What about when your brother or your sister say something or does something that hurts you? Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? And you feel that hurt. You feel that pain inside you. What if, God forbid, one of my staff were to do something that hurts you, which we're trying to avoid with electrocution treatments, <laughs> tasers? But I'm kidding. But, but, but what if somebody that you saw in authority did something that hurt you or, or a brother or sister and, you, and to forgive that person? by faith, without feelings attached, is more than you feel you can do at that moment. Listen, let me tell you, life is gonna often ask you, God, through your life, is gonna often ask you to do things that you feel you can't do. I'm serious. It, you just, you just, your boss at work is gonna ask you at times to do things that you feel you can't do. If you honor him, make sure you honor God more than you honor him. The government is going to ask you to do things more than you think that you can do. And they're not even asking your permission. They just take it from you. And then at the end, if you don't calculate it right, they ask you for more. And you might get that tax bill like I did last year and almost, I almost fell out of my seat. And I thought, this is more. They're asking more than I can do. You may feel that in a lot of areas of life, church, work, relationships, Government, what about your husband and wife? You know, walking in love with them, honoring them may at times feel more than you can handle. And you, and, and you, you start to research. How do you make an arsenic pie? How much arsenic do you put so that the, government, the, the, the police detectives can't find you? That it looks like an innocent accident. Jenny was looking that up the other night. I caught her. I said, I, I bind that in Jesus' name. Now I have to just go and eat at restaurants all the time because I can't trust her. <laughs> Praise God. She bought a brand new skillet and it's heavy, cast iron. And I, and I looked at that and I said, honey, this is only for cooking, right? You're not planning on joining the Ministry of Help skillet ministry and giving me a good whack while I'm sleeping. Sometimes you're, I'm not being funny, I am, but I'm not. Sometimes your relationships feel like it's more than you can, you, your flesh is weak, your spirit's willing, but, you're, but I'm telling you, if you'll just be where God's asked you to be, and if you'll just do what God's asked you to do, despite how you feel, 
there is, listen, there is a ram. There is a ram. There is a supply. There, you don't even, he didn't even know it was there. God was testing his motives. He didn't see the ram first. He had to be willing to do what he needed to do. And then he saw the ram, the supply was always there. But that ram caught in the thicket was obviously sleeping or very quiet because he didn't even see the ram when he got up there to take the, to take, he, he didn't even know there was a supply. And I'm telling you many times in life, you feel like you may not even know there's a supply. You have to do it by faith. Now, how do we know that he did it by faith? That glorious verse, the lad and I will go on yonder, but we shall return. What is he saying, Greg? He knows. His son don't even know. He knows I'm going to kill him. I have to. God asked me to kill him. Sacrifice him. Do you understand what that means? I don't think you understand what that means. That means sitting his throat because blood had to flow. And then lighting him on fire. Seeing your own son bleed to death at your hand. And then on fire, lit up as a human torch on an altar to God. And you took all those years to believe for him to come. And you love him more than life itself. And yet God still says, go to where it's inconvenient and give me what you feel you can't. And if you'll just do it by faith, this is a ply waiting for you that you can't even see. And he said, by faith, the lad and I shall return. Do you understand what that means, my brother and sister? Because he understood covenant, because he understood the promise that through Isaac, not through his mischief with the, the other girl, Hagar, and Ishmael, no, that's illegitimate, but through the son of promise will come a line to bless the world. And he didn't realize it, but that was Jesus. Yeah. And we're the world that got blessed through Jesus. <laughs> now he knows that that's what God has promised. And he knows he's promised it through Isaac. God didn't tell him your next son will be the line that will bless the world. He said this boy. Yeah. So he knows I'm in covenant. Genesis 15, he cut covenant with him. What is mine is yours. What is yours is mine. You have told me specifically that Isaac will bless the world. Now you're telling me to kill Isaac. That does not match. Therefore, because I know, listen, I'm trying to help you. Because I know you. Because I know you and your nature and your character. What you promised me has to happen and if now you're saying I have to kill him that means you have to raise him from the dead after his body has been burned because one way or the other I'm coming back with him I'm trying to help you if God asks you to give something greater than you feel you can the what is going to determine whether you do that is not whether you see the supply or not because he didn't see it what is going to determine whether you obey him in the tithe, in the love walk, in any area where he asks you to do something that you feel you can't? Your knowing him, your intimacy with him, your understanding his heart, you understanding your covenant, intimacy with God will make any sacrifice he asks tolerable. Because you'll know him. And you'll know he's not a mean God and he's not trying to take something from you and he's not trying to hurt you and it might look more than you can give. 
Young people, listen to me if you're in high school or you're in university. He is going to ask you to do things you feel you cannot do. Like stand in the face of persecution. Like when they look at you, like they said to Taylor on his first class there, the, the guy, the sociology guy, whatever, and he said, my goal by the end of this thing is if anybody here is a Christian, you will be an atheist by the end of my class. I will prove it. They are targeting us systematically for extermination. It's like the Nazis with the, with the Jews. I'm serious. The Antichrist spirit is targeting born-again believers for systematic extermination. The only difference is they can't do it. Unlike the Jews who would just rush, curt it in without say, we have a say. You don't have a right to rob me of what I believe. I will stand to you, professor, nose to nose. I'll take your course if I have to because I need it to get a job. But I will stand nose to nose to you and you will not intimidate me. And I bind that foul devil that's got a hold of your mind. Yes, sir, I'm saying it to you. That's what some of our young people need to do. When they feel they're asked more than they can give. The pressure, the pressure, the peer pressure, the sex pressure, the alcohol pressure, the drug pressure, this pressure, the antichrist pressure. They have to stand. What's going to determine if they stand? How much they know him. If they know him, they will stand. Abraham was asked the hardest thing he could possibly fathom. And the only reason he could do it in faith is because he knew his God. I know you. I know what you've promised. You can't violate what you've promised. So if you're asking me to do this, then it means that you've got another thing up your sleeve to raise him up because I know you. I trust you. You've given me your word. You will never break your word. And based on my intimacy with you, I can say, the lad and I will return. If God has to raise him from the dead, he'll raise him from the dead. If God has to send somebody to give me money, he'll send somebody, whatever miracle has to happen. I don't care what I need. I don't care how bad it looks. If God, I know him. And if I'm where he told me to be and I'm offering the sacrifice he told me to offer, I know he has to do it for me. But how do I know that? How can he say the lad and I will return? How can he believe in the raising of the dead? Because he knew the father. He knew him. This is the lesson. Know him. All the stuff he asks will pale when you know him. (laughs) One day I was so tired. I was so tired of traveling. And I just... I was so tired. I said, Lord, I'm doing what you're asking, but it's taking everything. Time away from my children. This and that and everything, the money and the wear on my body. And he spoke to me. I didn't expect when you're whining, you don't want God to talk to you. You just want him to listen. But sometimes he talks to you. And he spoke to me and he said, will you do it for me? That low blow, Jesus, low blow. You can't say things like that to me because if you say things like that to me, you know that I'm going to say with a resounding heart, yes, I'll do it for him because he asked and I know him. Don't matter how inconvenient. Doesn't matter if I feel it's more than I can give because I know him and I love him. I know whatever he asks me to offer, it will not break me. Whatever he asks me to give in the special annual project, it will not break me. I know him. 
That's how I can do these things because I know him. <laughs> Don't boast. The Bible says in this and that and the other. Boast in the fact that you know and understand God. That's the only thing you can boast in that you know him. Not in your great faith, not in your wealth, not in this, not in that. But that you know him. Because knowing him is everything. Everything comes out of that. Even give your own son. What? But I know you. So I know that if you ask this, but you promise that, then you're going to have to do some kind of miracle. And I don't care. Do the miracle. I'll kill him. No problem. I know you. And I'm going to speak faith. We're coming back. He's going to be raised. When God's asking you to give something you can't give, speak faith. Speak faith. Notice Abraham spoke it. Are you listening to me? The woman with the issue of blood was, she knew she was going to be stoned. If they caught her, she was unclean. She was risking her life to go in that crowd. But what did she do? She didn't just act. Abraham didn't just act. She spoke. If I can touch him, I'll be clean. What did Abraham do? He spoke. We will return. He put faith in his mouth. When he was faced, listen to me, brothers and sisters, when you're faced with impossible situations and things that you feel you can't do, but you know God's asked you to do it. Speak and then act because you know him. This shall surely come to pass. The lad and I will return. If I can but touch his clothes, speak it. And then don't just speak it, act. Then she pressed through the crowd. Then he lifts up the knife. Then you do whatever God told you to do. And I promise you, if God has to do a miracle to make it up to you because you know him, he will do the miracle. And if he spares your hand, he'll spare your hand. But don't get caught up. Because some person said, I had this offering and it was my Isaac. They said this. And I was about to give it and I was waiting for the Lord to say, hold back thine hand from giving that offering. For I see thine heart that you are willing to give what you are you listening to me? No, I'm serious. They were looking at their big offering as their Isaac. And that as they're putting it in the bucket, as he's lifting the knife, the word would come to them to say, you don't have to give that. Because you, you've proven your heart to me. And they said, Pastor, no words came. So I said, what did you do? Well, I didn't put it in. I said, What? Not every time he withholds the knife. You're going to feel some things. Put it in. They did. Put it in. But trust God and say, the lad and I shall return. It may leave my hand, but it does not leave my life. I sow it a seed and the harvest is on its way back to me right now. Greater than even what I sowed. So don't get rung, hung up on the, on, the, on the rut that every time he asks you to do something, he's going he's gonna to let you off at the last second because it don't work that way. With him it did, but don't always work that way. But don't matter whether you offer it or whether he tells you not to because he was testing your motives. If you believe and if you'll speak, faith is in thy heart. The word of faith is nigh thee in thy heart and in thy mouth. That's what Dad Hagen taught us. If you'll believe and if you'll speak. And believe and speak and then act. And then believe and speak and then act. If God has to raise that person up, if God has to do a miracle for you because you offer it, he will. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now listen, whether you slay the son and he raises him up, whether you don't, the fact is that he was asking you to do more than you thought you could. And because you believe him, you said yes. Why? Because you know him. Now, what happened with Abraham? He does this whole thing. What a test, Greg. 
What a massive test. And he passed it. Many of you, God's, he's looking, he's asking you to do things. You have to know him to be able to say yes. You have to trust him to be able. It's not just mechanics. You've got to know God. If you know him, you'll say yes. Even if you do slit the throat, you'll say yes, I've done it, Lord. Because when you turn around, the boy will be raised up and there's always a supply waiting. Bible says it was behind him. He turned around and he saw it caught. It, he didn't see it. It wasn't in his field of vision. It wasn't in his peripheral. There's things you can't see. There's things you don't know. But God already planned it long before you got there. And he's got the ram waiting for you. He's got the supply waiting for you. But you've got to step in faith knowing him trusting him giving what you feel you can't and then turn around and watch the supplies right there praise God and he'll raise that boy up for you praise God praise God praise God this was symbolic because Jesus was the ram remember God gave his only son like Abraham who he loved Jesus like Isaac was but God didn't hold back his hand he let Jesus die for me. That ram caught in that thicket represented Jesus, the spotless Christ. Just a stone's throw from that temple mount is where they nailed him to that cross. So where the ram came symbolically, Jesus was coming back some years later in reality. It was so important for Bible prophecy and for the kingdom of God that Abraham obeyed. It is so important for your, for your life and for the kingdom that you obey. God tells you to go somewhere, go. If he tells you to be in this church, stop whining and just suck it up and say, drive or no drive, I'm here. When you feel you can't serve in the ministry of helps, suck it up and say, I know you. It may feel like more than I can give right now, but because I know you, because I love you and I trust you, I'm gonna sow this time. And I know that there's a blessing for me waiting behind me. I can't see my blessing, but it's there. I, I clean these toilets by faith, Father. I, I, I serve in the ushering by faith, Father. I do it because I know there's a supply waiting for me. There's always a ram waiting for me. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I just felt today was a different kind of an anointing, a different kind of day, because normally I'm a little bit more aggressive. But I felt such a compassion this morning when I was praying for the congregation. I felt like God allowed me to enter into how he felt. And Jenny, it's like there was a, a deep compassion in my heart for the people in our congregation. Because for a moment, I'm just so black and white. Just do it, do it, and shut up. Like David Horton, we should have a sign here that says whining with a big X through it. No whining in this church. That's my flow. But I felt I entered into God's heart more than ever today when I was praying for this congregation because I, I felt, I've never felt that personally, but God allowed me to feel it knowing that people in the congregation feel it. That even just to serve sometimes feels more than they can give. Now I've never, I've never personally, I was in every ministry of helps department except the counting department for years. I've done more ministry of helps simultaneously than any of you ever. So don't look at me like that. I've lived this. I served at, 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 at Evangel Temple. I served in a dozen departments at once. And I loved every minute of it. And it never felt more than I could give. So I don't know what that feels like. Because I love to serve. But the Lord allowed me to enter into the feelings 
of some congregation members that because of their lives, because of the pressure that they're going through in their lives, sometimes just coming to church feels more than they can give. Sometimes tithing feels more than they can give. Sometimes even hugging somebody because they are so worn down feels more than they can give. And I never really saw that until this morning. He showed me that. And he said, just be gentle with them. Because uh, Abraham, I asked him to give much. And I'm asking them to give much. But if they'll just know me and trust me. If they'll know me and trust me. If I have to raise up that boy, I'll raise him up. And behind them, there's a supply that they don't even know exists. If they'll just know me and trust me, I'll meet their needs. But I had compassion because I didn't realize always how it feels because I'm not used to that feeling. But he allowed me to feel what some people go through. And, and it helps me as a pastor when God does that. That's supernatural. That's a supernatural occurrence in my life because I don't normally feel that. I'm a runner. I'm a driver. And I've, I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly, I just don't have time for a lot of emotions. We just, let's just do this. If Jesus said do it, we do it. Kind of like an army military mentality. But, but sometimes I, I don't always realize people are going through very difficult, overwhelming situations. And what I think is nothing, like just show up. They, they feel like they can't even get out of bed. Not everybody's like that. Others, they may be fine in these, but when, when we ask them to, to sow something, they're, they're under such pressure financially, they don't have anything left. And for them to do that and put it on a credit card or whatever God's leading them to do, I'm not promoting debt, but I'm saying, if God tells you to give, you give no matter what. You find it. But the pressure that they're under is immense. And I'm trying to, and I heard the Lord just say to me as I'm closing, I just heard, and I felt that compassion for them. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so military, militaristic. What is the word? Military. Military minded. I said, I don't mean to be that way, Father. I said, I, I'm sorry. And he interrupted me. He said, don't you say sorry. I said, why? I said, because I feel such compassion for them. He said, I'm letting you feel compassion for them. He said, but if you don't have that military mindset, then you do, you'll never fulfill the apostle's office. It takes a stealing of your will. It takes strength to face devils in other countries. It doesn't, you can't be, you, I'm telling you, that's why God doesn't ask all pastors to do that because it's not in them. They don't have that office and that anointing in them, that aggression for, a, for an apostolic work, especially in Africa where they'll kill you. And ask questions later. And God just told me to go to Mexico last week. And I've, he's opened a door for me to go to Mexico. David's been asking me to come for 12 years. And I've always had a check. But now another minister's opened a door. And I'm going to cartel land where they kill you and ask questions later. I'm telling you that, 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 uh, that anointing, that kind of a, mm, is required for my call. It is. But because I'm also a pastor. You can't always hmm, with everybody because you roll over them. Yeah. And every now and then he'll let, put that compassion in me and I'll be like, oh God, I'm sorry for being so, uh, so aggressive. Don't apologize. You need that. But I also need you to understand how they feel because these are my precious sheep and some of them are hurting more than you know, son. And then he said this to me this morning. That's that compassion came. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll pray for him. And he said, but I want you to tell him something. He's talking to the ones especially that are hurting. If they'll just know me. If they'll just come close to me and know me, just come close to me and let me hold you. They'll learn that they can trust me. I'll never ask them to give more than they can.
I'll never, I'll never put something across their path that will overcome them. I'll never break them. I'll never do it. If they'll trust me, whatever I ask, they'll say yes, because I know you. I have faith because I know you. I know you'll raise them up if needed because I know you. There's a supply behind me. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, Lord. Well, I knew you were going to take care of it because I know you. Sandy, whatever he's asked you to do, you got to trust him. you got to trust him. you got to know him because he's not going to ask you more than you can do. If you, if you know him, if you trust him, you'll be able to go wherever he asks you to go and do whatever he asks you to do because of that relationship. Praise God. No matter how hard, no matter how hard it is for you right now in your life, no matter what you're going through, the answer is not more television. Are you listening to me? The answer is not more Christian television. The answer is not more, you know, Joy 1250 radio, which most of that will hurt your faith, except at 12 noon, Monday to Friday, there's a good program that'll build your faith. But most of the other stuff is a bunch of people that have absolutely no faith. Some are okay, but most aren't. So, but it's not, that's not, it's, not, it's not the radio, and it's not watching more YouTube videos, although YouTube videos of Kenneth Hagin are great. Pastor Nancy's great. But the answer, it's not all that. You know, the answer is sitting there, closing your eyes and saying, Heavenly Father, I come before your throne of grace. And I just want to spend the next half an hour with you. I just want you to lead me, Holy Spirit, because I don't even know. I have no agenda. I just want to I'll pray. I'll sing. I'll read. I'll be quiet. I just love you. I want to know you better. Teach me who you are. That's the answer. When you get to know him, then he asks you to do something. There's a trust. No problem. When you don't know him and the pastor asks you to do something, but you don't really know him, then you do it out of <sighs> Do you understand? What's the answer? Abraham knew God. Yes, he had to be inconvenienced. Yes, he had to give what he thought he couldn't. Yes, there was a supply. Yes, he did it in faith. But he knew God. My brother and sister, let's get to know him better. Amen. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you. It's 1153. Lord, this is unheard of. <laughs> I, I've never, this, there's something wrong with this. I, I must have not written... Yeah, Taylor said, just do it, Pastor. Just do it. Just do it. That's, that's wrong advice. Get thee behind me. My God. Praise God. It's good to end early once in a while. Because then you'll come back. <laughs> oh, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I thank you for the compassion for this congregation. Lord, you put it in me, but I ask that you'd put it in the people. I ask that you'd fill them with a heart of deep compassion for their brothers and sisters around them. That maybe even right now as they're sitting there with their eyes closed, a face may come up before them. A name may come up before them. If they're experiencing that right now, that's the Holy Spirit giving you a prompting to pray for that person. And if they're here this morning, don't leave the building without putting your arms around them and telling them you love them. Telling them that God had put them on your heart. You have no idea what that may mean to somebody. That, that God saw them and put them on your heart to pray for. Lord, we thank you for a compassion for each other. I thank you for a compassion for the sheep. Lord, I started to apologize for that uh, strong, that strength and that militaristic aggression and you corrected me because I know I need that in its right place. But as a pastor, Father, there's also a valuable need for me to get from the Holy Ghost what the congregation is going through.
And Lord, you didn't tell me to stop preaching doctrine just because they're going through hard times. You didn't tell me to stop talking about tithing just because they're going through hard times. You didn't tell me to let them off and they don't have to show up anymore because they're going through hard times. No, you said, tell them to get to know me better. If they'll know me, no matter what I ask of them, they'll be willing to do because they'll trust that I am, my nature is pure toward them. I'll never break them. I'll never steal from them. I'll never hurt them. That's the devil's job, not mine. Whatever I ask, they'll be able to trust me because they know me. They'll trust that I'll raise that situation up if I have to. They'll see that there's a rab behind them if they'll turn around. That there's always a supply ready waiting for them. But they've got to be in the place I've told them to be. And they've got to do what I've told them to do. It may be inconvenient and it may at times feel more than they can give. But if they'll know me, if they'll trust me, I will always supply them the ram. So Father, I thank you. In whatever capacity that is for every person sitting here. I don't know all, every intimate detail of all of their lives. I know them generally as my sheep. But Father, things can change from one week to the next. Problems can happen from one week to the next. And they may not have even had a chance to call the church office to tell us what they're going through. But Father, I know that if they'll stay put in their Mount Moriah, where you've planted them, if they'll stay put in Zarephath, where you sent him, there is somebody anointed to help him in Zarephath. If they'll stay where they are, there's a ram anointed to help them and supply their needs. And no matter what you ask, if they'll just know you intimately, they'll be willing to give it all because they know your nature and they know that you'll never hurt them and that it might leave their hand, but it does not leave their life. So I thank you, Father, for it. For those that are hurting, I thank you for that precious balm of Gilead to go and soothe those wounds and heal those, or those hearts. For those that are struggling financially, I thank you, Father, that it turns for them because they have tied their rights. Father, for those in, a, in relational disputes, I thank you, Father, for the wisdom of God to flow into them this morning and for the love, the love of God to rise up within them that they would walk in love by faith and not by feelings. And whatever they're facing at work, home, life, whatever, Lord, we choose this week to get more intimate with you, to know you, Father. Then no matter what happens, we will be okay because we know the God of our covenant and we know that he'll never let us down. Never once has he let me down all these years. He will not let them down. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name.